This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist, and this is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. Today, I want to talk to you about how to process and face fear. Hello, y'all. So my husband and I, we had a good chuckle over this over the weekend. We were watching a foreign movie and somebody caught fire and they didn't know how to stop, drop and roll. I realized that in childhood, I was taught by school and by family to stop, drop, and roll if I were to ever catch on fire. And I wondered if this is as true for you as it is for me. Now, who is my age that grew up in the public school system in the United States who's about my age who didn't learn this? I learned stop, drop, and roll Like I was definitely going to catch fire at any moment over and over and over again for the rest of my life. I mean, they taught this to me like this was such an essential life skill. Little me was on the ready to do some serious stop dropping and rolling if I ever even saw a spark or smelled smoke. Now, do you know that I have not caught fire not one damn time ever in my whole life? So I left my primary education feeling very prepared for spontaneous combustion. I didn't feel prepared for adulthood in any way. I didn't feel like I got any guidance, really. And I mean any. In really, truly dealing with the nuance of life, no person in my life, no basic schooling class ever taught me what to do practically as an adult human being. Not taxes, not how to buy a home, not how to interview better. Not even how to find a profession that really suited me. How to earn more money, how to date, how to find compatibility and partnership, how to decide to have children or not, how many children to have if you decide to have them, how to invest. Certainly, I did not get guidance on the nuance of emotions. I didn't even get practical advice going into adulthood. The nuance of emotions was wildly overlooked. No one showed me or taught me how to healthily deal with disappointment, anger, betrayal, anxiety, pressure, pressure I put on myself, pressure from the outside world. Certainly not what to do with fear in any kind of constructive or useful way. Now, for sure, this influences why I am here on this mic, why I continue to be. I've felt it's been my life's calling to share with you the hard-earned wisdom that I've gained in hopes that 
you get to lighten your load. You get to ease your own path, brighten your existence with more light, less darkness. I'm genuinely grateful that you're here, that you tune in, that you listen, that you allow me to be in this teaching, sharing, podcaster position to share myself, my experience personally and professionally with you. I'm a big believer that this is how we learn for all the therapy that I have had in my life. And I like to joke that I've had more than anyone on the planet. A lot of that was helpful, sure. But I know deep down in in the soul of who I am, that what has healed me the most, what has grown me the most, are the people throughout my life, since I was a small child, who would actually show me vulnerably what it is to be a human being in all their messiness and all their imperfection, that loving generosity of being willing to let me see them, really see them. I'm so grateful that you're on the planet with me learning how to let go of surviving so that you can thrive. This is why I share myself despite being a strong introvert. I want to talk about fear today. Fear is universal. We've all felt it. We're all going to feel it. Now, I don't want to just tell you how to work on fear. I want to show you by showing you my own fears. We're going to have a Patreon discussion about this episode. And in that discussion, what I want to know, what, if anything, what does it do for you in your own words when I show you myself and my process versus tell you the really smart therapeutic things that we're all supposed to do to take care of ourselves. What's the difference there? So many people are out there, and I was like this for so many years. So many people are thinking through their healing. They're thinking through their self-development. They're thinking through how to become adult in all the ways. And they do this by reading books, by going to talk therapy, by listening to another podcast and another one and another one and another one and another one. Thinking, 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 thinking about healing, thinking about being different, thinking about what needs to change, maybe even obsessing on healing and trying so, so hard to heal yesterday desperately. And thinking doesn't heal us. Too many of you out there are stuck in this trap and don't know that this is the very trap you are stuck in. Too many of you and too many therapists out there too. If you're a therapist out there, I hope you are not letting your clients get away with this because it's depressing. It's demoralizing to think that you're putting positive effort towards healing and it's not working. It's not connecting. It's not relieving you in the ways that you don't just need, but deserve relief. This would be like any of us reading books on physical fitness and weight training without ever lifting an actual weight. Just reading and reading and reading, listening to weight training podcasts, and then just staring at your muscles in the mirror, puzzled. Gee, muscles, why aren't you growing? Let me get more knowledge. We're living through an information age. There has never been more information available. And yet depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, all continue to be on the rise in this great information age. I can't direct you to a study. My theory is that we just keep chasing information and we're not doing 
We're not being the healing that we must practice. Those are the emotional weights that we must lift to actually change our emotional bodies the way we would change our physical bodies through strength training, through exercise, through focused exercises. We get to have some focused emotional exercises. I hope by sharing my process of facing a fear, and there's a big range of fear, right? We're going to face little bitty daily fears, little anxieties. And we're going to face really big, scary things in this life too. Let's use the smaller fears, the less overwhelming fears, even when they're overwhelming in their own right, to do this weight training, to deal with fear, to use it, to help transform and shape our lives, not just stall out our lives because of fear. I'm going to share with you what my actual process is for facing a fear once I realize, oh, I've got some fear. I've got some resistance. What is that about? This is the gift of mindfulness. All mindfulness is, is like the little birdie that sits on your shoulder and helps you watch for what's useful to watch out for. This exercise is very simple, and yet it's profound. If you just listen to this episode and sit with the thinking idea of what I'm offering, Yeah, it might be interesting, but if you're really having a fear, I want to encourage you to do yourself what I'm modeling that I do for myself here. What I'm going to talk about today is real emotional fear, right? In physical fear, we don't really get a chance to think about it so much. If somebody is running at me with a hammer, I don't want to stop and think. I want my body to take over and I want to haul ass away from the threat. I live around bear and I live around moose in the Rocky Mountains. I want to make sure that I am very respectful of fear. That's a great idea when we think of wild animals. Fear isn't just about scary, scary horrors. Fear is also about respect. We want to have a healthy fear of the moose, a healthy fear of the bear. We want to learn what is a healthy fear? What is a dysfunctional fear? Our fear-based system inside of us isn't really set up to do very well with emotional and psychological fear because we're thinkers. And unfortunately, our thinker grabs that fear and just creates stories and stalling and stories and stalling and can often make the fear bigger, more powerful. We want to make sure that we're shrinking fear, that we're minimizing it, not throwing gasoline on fear's fire. So I'm going to share with you a real emotional fear and a place that I really haven't gone yet on this show, even though I've been doing the show years and years and years. And the way that I can identify that this is a fear inside of myself is that if I think about what I'm about to share, there's there's an anxiety in my body, a bit of a tension. There's a hesitation instead of a flow. There's a resistance Instead of a walking forward, there's a hitch in my emotional giddy up, if you will. It's part of feeling in my body, part of feeling in my mind as I attempt to think through. These are very common feelings whenever some part of us is maybe in conflict. I can feel different parts of myself wanting different things, different parts of me having different fears. I talk about this stuff 
with you and with my clients not to ever get obsessed or have a life where we're looking at what frightens us, but so we can get to know ourselves, our own relationship with fear, so that we can spend less and less and less time burning up our energy in those fear states. That's a survival mode way of being. We want to go towards thriving. It's normal to feel some hesitation as we're about to take a risk. It's also smart to think things through before we step into anything risky for any reason. Emotionally risky, physically risky, maybe even spiritually risky, financially risky, romantically risky, sexually risky. Now, this technique is loose because it's not a hard technique when we're getting to know ourselves, when we're exploring something like our own fear. This technique is about sitting with. We're going to sit with the fear. The energy of this that I want you to entertain and consider to participate in this exercise with me or, or with yourself later is to pick up your fear like I might pick up a big rock. And just like if I'm holding a rock that I've picked up, I'm going to want to turn that sucker over. I want to take that rock in. Huh. Look at this edge of the rock. Look at that edge of the rock. This part is smooth. This part is ragged or edgy or sharp or dull or smooth. You pick that rock up and you consider it and you turn it over. This is what we're going to do with our fear. Now, we don't want to deal with every fear we've ever had all at once. So let's pick one. Let's name the fear we're going to work with today. This is my fear. I am scared to share more about the culture that shaped me coming from Southern Louisiana and my own drug and alcohol history. That's the very first thing that we can do when we're feeling a sense of fear. Those of you who have been through my boundaries course already, you will notice getting measurable and specific is one of the lessons that you're familiar with. Let's get measurable and specific about this fear. What exactly am I scared of? Well, I'm scared to share more. Step two, what am I actually scared of? See, when we're having tough feelings, it's very easy for a sensitive person to just sort of sit in those feelings like it is some kind of warm bath and not really get specific about what is it I am scared of. We get so normalized to being uncomfortable that we will just sort of hang out in the waters of the discomfort. As we hone in on more specificity, it's like we change the shape of that water we're sitting in. We change the shape or even the texture, the temperature of the feeling of that very emotion we're sitting in. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health. 
from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. So what am I scared of? This is a great place to pull in your worst case scenario. We don't have to beat around the bush. When we are scared and frightened, aren't we all worst case scenarioing like it's a verb, like it's a thing we can do? So my worst case scenario, I want to just turn and look at it dead on in the face. This isn't a time to judge. This isn't a time to reframe, try to make it sound better than what we want. So what am I scared of? I'm scared of judgment. I'm scared of alienating myself from this audience that I've worked years and years to build. I'm scared of losing credibility as this white collar professional, right? I'm scared of being seen as so different from the average person that I sort of murder my own relatability and tank my business. That's my worst case scenario. It's not just my business. I have people that depend on me, that rely on me for part of their paycheck now. It's a pressure on top of that fear or a pressure from that fear. I'm also scared of sharing my story, which isn't sort of the typical narrative in addiction or in drug and alcohol abuse work. And I'm scared of people in their addiction misconstruing my message from their addictive logic, from their sickest parts, and morphing what I'm trying to deliver in a healthy, light-filled way to justifying and hurting themselves instead of helping themselves. I'm aware that I am already an outlier in my profession. I don't quite fit coaching. I don't quite fit traditional therapy. I'm a bit of a lone wolf, always have been, in all ways and everything that I do. Even though I have help, even though I have partnership, I'd say my partner also has a bit of the lone wolf in him. It's part of why we work. I'm a bit scared that some of these experiences make me more different, again, than the average therapist out there. As psychedelics become more mainstream in therapeutic environments, part of what I'm seeing is that most of those therapists that I have met, now I'm speaking in a generality, it's a bit unfair, are very proud that they have absolutely no drug history, that they have only learned from people studying the science of these psychedelics. I have very mixed feelings about the wisdom of that. Very mixed. I'm scared to make some of those acknowledgments public. This is just where we acknowledge the fear. One of the things I see highly sensitive people do a lot is they wear themselves out. If, they're, if I say to a client, just acknowledge your fear, they will say a fear and then they will justify how they know how to reframe it. If I ask somebody to acknowledge their anger, They'll say why they're maybe angry at their parent, and then they'll compassionately talk about why they understand why that's what their parent knew how to do for them, why their parent lacked for them. As sensitive people, we often jump around in our emotional process because we're so uncomfortable just being in the nitty gritty, just being in the sitting with the emotion. So if the directive is name your fear, be with your fear, be with your fear. Don't try to bring in your wisdom. Don't try to bring in how to transcend the fear while you're actually just taking a moment to actually be with it. 
The third prompt I have for you to sit with, think about, journal, actually write it out. What about my fear is connected to shame? When it comes to emotional fears, y'all, especially as recovering people pleasers, as recovering codependents, even if we don't know on the surface what connects to shame, it almost always connects to shame. Shame is one of those words that every single one of us knows. But if I put my finger on somebody and go, hey, you, explain to me what shame is. Very few people know how to put words to what shame is. And it's tricky when we talk about emotion because in some ways, there are no words I could ever find, create, string together and dance with that I think fully accurately get at what it is to experience an emotion. I think our emotions are so complex, so connected to our histories, our experiences, our personality, maybe even our DNA and our ancestry, society, our families, the culture of where we're from. Like I'm talking about the fear I have now is I am from Louisiana, probably the weirdest place in the United States, the most different the least like the rest of America. Shame is this deep, deep fear of unworthiness. Shame is this, is connected to fear in this way of the truth of who I am. Something along the way taught me that there's something wrong with the truth of who I am. That is the shame. That is the shame. When we live with a low-grade, constant fear that we're about to get in trouble, we probably grew up being shamed as the primary tool that a parent had to try to keep their kid in line. So many people have shame that they are dragging through their life that they don't even know is shame. Shame is why we people please, because we don't believe deep down that we are so worthwhile that we must be perfect. For people to stay with us if we have abandonment trauma, deep, deep contributor to shame. Our psychology thinks, well, if I was worthy and I wasn't fundamentally broken, then my parent wouldn't have left. Then my love wouldn't have left me. And this isn't just when someone chooses to leave, when we are young and we lose someone to death. Even in irrational ways, we think, well, if I was worthy enough, they would still be here. If I was worthy enough, I wouldn't have had this pain of loss. I don't even deserve to have this human being in my life. That's why they're gone. Shame cycles on itself. So when we are in fear, I want to encourage you to start sitting back and asking yourself, your inner parts, your inner child, your inner younger woman, your inner younger man, what about this connects to shame? And to allow yourself to find those connections. They might not make super duper logical sense. This is about sitting with, letting it come up, letting it unfold. It's a little different than trying to think and calculate with the mind. I think this is part of why so many of us don't get a verbal, emotional education, not by teachers, not by very many parents or family members. Because it's so hard to get this stuff right. I don't know that there is a hard and fast right. So for me to do this and try to put words to these emotions, these processes that are 
so hard to put words to. I have to let myself fumble. I have to let myself be imperfect. I was shamed for that very thing growing up. Hard truth, and I wish this was not the truth I believed. In some ways, when shame is sort of your emotional first language, it may always be in times of stress, when we are, as they say in AA, to halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, H-A-L-T. That combination of triggers, if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, those old shame scripts are liable to bubble up and play. And they might not just play in the stories our mind makes. They might play in how our bodies feel. And then how our bodies feel influence the story maker of our thinking parts. So what connects to shame in this fear that I'm sharing? Another way to ask this question is what does my inner child think about these fears? What does she have to say about these fears? When I ask her, she shows me. My inner child, she spent her childhood feeling very alien, very different as a highly sensitive person. This isn't a gloat. This isn't my ego saying I'm better than my mom or I'm better than my biological father. It's just a fact like somebody being born a blonde or a brunette, straight hair or curly, kinky hair. Just a fact of difference. I was born with more maturity than I think both of my biological parents possessed in this life. I think at four and five and six years old, as much as I was very immature and incapable I was also parentified and very mature and made to be more so. This made me feel different. It made me feel alien. It made me confused. It made me feel misunderstood. And it made me feel like I didn't fit right kind of anywhere. So my inner child is, is frightened for me to share this part of my history that I know will be helpful to other people. But she's scared. Even though this is my calling, even though it is my mission, she's scared that I will recreate that old alien feeling and all the critical voice that went with it. She's scared that the alienness that I felt very young could be proven as deeply true, that my shame will be proven right, that I have never fit, that I don't belong. There's so much information for us when we sit with the fear, it'll bubble up, it'll show us. And the more that we invite our deeper self, our wisest part, and our inner child part, our, our hurt parts, our wounded parts, our healed parts, all of our parts, to chime in, the more that we truly take care of ourselves, not in the self-care bubble bath kind of realm, but in the deep, oh, this is what it takes to learn how to be a healthy, grounded human who can manage all the complexities of being a feeling creature moving through this complex, sometimes convoluted, confusing life. That's risky. Risky in healthy ways, risky in dangerous ways. What I want to convey, and if you resonate with it, I, I hope it, it holds you deeply, is that coming out of a deeply dysfunctional family of origin, 
it's shocking and it's complicated. For me and so many I've worked with over the years, there's a deep love-hate dynamic pulling in different directions. Even extremely dysfunctional families typically are sometimes a lot of fun when they're fun. They can be very loving and giving. Deeply dysfunctional families can have wonderful holidays, big Christmases. They can also devolve into chaos and screaming or violence or real scary stuff. Part of what survivors of such dynamics grow up and process, if they're not sweeping their lives under the rug and burying themselves in different addictions and distractions, is having to hold so many multiple truths. That we can love people that scare us. That people can love us who hurt us. And we have to process the complexity of different seasons, different layers of who we are, processing different things at different times. We might have a deep appreciation for our abuser while we hold a revulsion for what they've done or even who they are. We can feel that way about ourselves. Especially early in our healing, most sensitive people have a big struggle between both loving their sensitivity, loving it, and hating it. I've named it the beauty and the burden. And until we have tools for it, the burden feels very heavy. And we question if the beauty is worth it. I've asked almost every sensitive who's ever crossed my path this question. If I had magic fairy dust and I could sprinkle it right now and take your sensitivity away, would you want me to? Every single one has said no. We're learning to love ourselves despite feeling torn in different directions and opposing directions, even in how we feel about ourselves. Of course, we're going to have some conflicts pulling us in completely opposing directions about ourselves, our lives, our experience, and everybody we meet and everybody who influences us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've realized in recent years that the way I feel about New Orleans and Southern Louisiana, part of why it's been hard for me, this has come from my deep subconscious into my conscious, so now I can work with it, is that my relationship with my home state, with my city, in many ways, parallels what I feel about my family. I feel torn about where I come from. Almost everyone that I meet, now I've lived in two other states since leaving Louisiana. Most people, when I mention being from New Orleans, they get this glazed over look because if they visited there, they went buck wild. They drank more than they ever have probably in their entire human history. They cut loose. They partied on the street. They let go. They went wild. And Louisiana people were very warm. We are very, very warm. I met people from all over the world when I bartended on in the French Quarter and particularly on Bourbon Street. All over the world. I love the multiculturalism of Louisiana, of New Orleans. I love some of how it taught me to live on the edge. Food and flavor and the, the richness of hanging out with each other, being silly together. 
Those are parts of me that I take from my culture. They're valuable to me. I hold them dear. And I suspect I always will. And yet there's a lot about that experience that's very dark. I've joked lightly on this show before about telling people from Louisiana when I made the decision to be a counselor as a very young woman that I had picked my major. And only in Louisiana where change and growth are not valued, samenesses. Would anyone hear the words and see the faces of disdain? What I heard was, why would you want to do that? You want to hear people cry all day? I both very much fit and both very much didn't fit in my family and in my culture. Of course, this frightens my inner psyche that I would share anything that might kick up how I might be alien and weird and different. We are all biologically programmed to belong, to be part of the tribe. In ancient times, to be rejected by the tribe meant we were going to starve to death, get eaten by a wild animal. If we were in a wintry climate, we might freeze to death. We don't work on people pleasing to never, ever please another human again. We don't work on people pleasing and codependency to not take other human feedback in. There's a balance to all things. Here's number four. I want you to check in in this moment. We've been sitting with fear. We've been looking at it. We've been expounding on it, letting it play out, letting our psyche say whatever it wants to say about what we're scared of, how it relates to shame. Here's the fourth step. What's happening as I sit with my fear and write it out? Now, I've been with you in real time. You've been with me on this exercise today. I can tell you very honestly, you might be able to tell in my energy if you're an empath and you read energy really well. The fear is shrinking. It's losing steam. It's like a shadow changing shape as the light shines differently upon the object of me. When I face the worst case scenario, something in me naturally starts to also look for the best case scenario. I have a lot of power to shift the texture of this fear, to shift the weight of it, to change anything that feels icky or strange or unsettling or not in service of my higher self and my truth. Here's the fifth step I have for you to play with. What's the best case scenario if I face this fear? What a question, huh? And that's the thing about fear. It's the thing about the critical voice. Man, those bastards never sit back and encourage looking at the best case scenario, only the worst. That's why our fear is such a skewing force. It pulls us out of alignment, out of balance, off center. And it loves to position itself like it's just so damn wise. The wisest parts of us would not pull us off center. The wisest parts of us do not destabilize us and stall out our lives. No way, no how. So what's the best case scenario for me if I face my fear? Well, I'll overcome it. And the fear won't feel like it has felt. So I can have the power to shift my emotional fear. That's empowerment. I like that. Another best case scenario. I know that when 
I am in my flow and I don't let my fear stop me. And I say what I want to say. I know that my story and my teachings help so many. I know because you tell me so generously. My work helps people out there that are lost. And if I'm going to talk about addiction and overuse and all of what that experience taught me or my shame about it, whatever combination of whatever I talk about, because it will come from a place of being real and genuine and sharing the wisdom over the pain. I know and trust that that is the essence of how humans learn and transcend. So what will happen? I'll help people. I'll help people who are facing their own fears. And I take my power back from every fear I have ever felt when I do so. Why would I not do that for me, for my inner child? Why would I not do that for anyone who has ever taken a chance to allow me in to their ear, into their mind, into their life? If I'm honoring me and you, I will not let fear hold me back. Addressing another fear, what could be the best case scenario? The more truthful I am, the more I show the true essence of who I am, the more I will find the professionals in my tribe who are sharing their experience, who are sharing my truth, who are dedicated to learning and growing and shedding what no longer serves them as humans and as professionals so that they can be and keep becoming more and more and more effective with helping others. The potential butterfly effect of me getting beyond my fear that holds worth and value. Giving into my fear and stalling out, no way. I don't value it. Next. Another best case scenario, showing people more of who I am by talking through my experience is different than just telling people, hey, here's a journal prompt, go do it. When I show others what I truly believe, I am in my own value system. I am in my own integrity. And y'all, we chase so many ways to try to feel good in this life. Everything that good means. This is some of the best goodness I have ever figured out how to feel. To live in my value system. To behave in this life around what I truly value holding my own lines of integrity and self-respect, living from wisdom, refusing to make mindless mistake after mistake without learning from the hard-earned wisdom of that pain. It's more powerful for me to show than to tell. And it's not just me showing others that tune in and listen to my content. It's about me showing me. And the more that I show me and live that truth, the more I am in integrity in alignment, in authenticity, as a human being, as a healer, as a therapist, as a coach, as a mentor, whatever the hell you want to call me. From day one, this show's emotional mission has been to teach the emotional lessons that all of us crave and all of us missed. I want to show more of the truth about how smart, emotionally intelligent people are going to feel so many torn feelings about so many things. And we owe it to ourselves to not allow that tornness, that opposition of feeling to stall us out, to confuse us.
to get us stuck. The best way for me to do that is not to show you when I'm successfully past it, but to show you as I mutter through. I also think a best case scenario is that the more that I share from earlier seasons of my life that are so different from this season of my life, I believe it shows people different than telling them that they too will hit different seasons of life. They will grow past the season that they are in right now. Whatever season you are in, if it's beautiful and lovely, soak that up. Know that it will not last forever. And if you are in a season that you cannot stand, that you are loathing right now, keep going, keep going, keep going. Right at the height of winter, right at the height of summer. Isn't that a trick that our psychology plays on us? It sure feels like the temperature is never going to be different. It's the same for our emotional seasons too. But they always shift. The weather always shifts. The season always shifts. We don't have to try to cram our lives, our experiences, ourselves into these nice little tidy, tied up in a bow templates. We are so much more than the simplicity of good or bad. We are more than the simplicity of right or wrong. We can learn from what's good, but we learn from what's bad. And what a wide space in between. When we live to our value system and we don't let fear get us lost, sidetracked, derailed, we live to the integrity of who we are. Now, we got to watch the perfectionism as recovering people pleasers, as people with strong critical voices. I have a high integrity that I have to make sure is not creeping into perfectionism. It's another way to feel good, to feel safe. When I act in integrity to my value system, nobody else's but mine, my inner child can trust me. Not only is that very important in general for the human condition at the level of the individual, that may be important now more than ever. As I work with sensitive people, I hear what's concerning you. The world looks really, really messy right now. It's hard sometimes to look out there and be hopeful. It's easy to feel a deep sense of mistrust and fear. We have one precious life, y'all. I don't want you waiting for the world to get right for you to feel right on the inside. That doesn't seem fair. That does not seem okay with me. Does it seem okay to you? I don't want to farm out my, my wellness, my rootedness, my emotional health to waiting for the world, waiting for what our governments, our politics, our media to get healthy. The healthiest I can be for myself is in managing the complexity of who I am as a person. Dealing with emotions as they come up, figuring out what the nugget is, what is mine next to overcome and to face, and then facing it and pushing through, and then learning how to live with those consequences, the positive ones, the toughies. I feel the healthiest when I am in my integrity, when I am living to my belief system. Therapists out there, check in with your people that lean depressed. If you're hiding from your life because you're scared and it's depressing you, I think it's supposed to. What would happen if you sat with your fear, if you leaned in, if you went through this exercise and got to the other side of it? Part of my value system is that I refuse to allow fear to make my decisions. I will not let fear 
thwart me from my goals, my higher purpose, my honesty, and my embracing of who I really am, and not having to perform to what society thinks a professional is supposed to be, or what anyone in their judgment thinks of me. When I look at that, acknowledge it, I can release it, and I can move beyond it. Y'all, it's exhilarating to get past fear. Not only am I a highly sensitive person, I am a highly sensitive person, high sensation-seeking type. And if you've never heard that before, go check that out. Understanding yourself as a high sensation-seeking type is essential. Whereas drugs or alcohol or risky sex with strangers, maybe that used to make me feel alive. Because that was the best I knew how to shift out of surviving and feel. Now the truth is exhilarating to me. Now, I know this sounds corny, safety and security feel exhilarating to me. They feel like a gift. There is risk in risking vulnerability, risking showing who we really are to each other. When I sit with that today, sometimes that, that's more dangerous than doing some street drugs. That can be scarier. You can grow into learning how to hold yourself with so much self-regard and self-respect that even the vulnerability, even when it's a little frightening, that feels good, good scary, not bad scary. Even makes me smile, makes me chuckle. That younger me thought that she needed such consequential dangers to feel alive. That she was living on the rails so much that she put herself in danger. I'm grateful I have gotten all the way to here today when I can say with great honesty that living in the truth of who I am, learning to honor my one precious life and not shame my experience, but learn and grow from it, it's the greatest, most grounded, healthy, right exhilaration I could have ever, ever wanted or needed. Your next step is to sit with yourself and ask, what do I choose to do with this fear? I've sort of already given this answer. For me, the only answer is to face it, to bite off what I can chew, little bites, to allow flow, to soften. I don't find courage, y'all. I demand it of myself. I command it of myself. Smart, measured, well-thought-out courage. Courage to be me despite any fear. Do you want to take this even a little further? Answer this question. What do I know for sure? This is where you become your own support, where you become your cheerleader, longtime listeners, where you take every communicative seed that I have shared that you have willingly allowed to plant and grow to be your own authority figure, to be the comfort and the strength that your inner child has always deserved. Every time I have faced fear, it's brought me to another level of me. I want mental health as a profession to start dealing with this, to let people know that facing their fear is the transcendence. Don't get stuck in wallowing in it. Don't grow it. Fear shows me that I am a compassionate, considerate, caring person of me, of my younger self, my inner psychology. 
of people in my smaller world, of people in the larger world. I take excellent care of myself when I'm mindful and disciplined about not letting care and fear intermingle till I'm lost in codependency, till I'm lost in people pleasing, till I'm lost and confused about what is right or healthy. Fear needs to be acknowledged, looked at, sat with, and never allowed to stall out our lives, our endeavors, our dreams, our forward motion. A mentor of mine many years ago, old therapist I worked with as a baby therapist used to say, everything I fear, I've already survived. I can put my energy into no longer needing to survive because I have survived everything that has ever frightened me. What if I took that wisdom and that strength and made that bigger inside of me than the fear? What I know to be true is that I am worthy of thriving. I deserve thriving. I am so worth it, and so are you. This is where our moxie meets mindful, y'all. Decide your worth and claim it. And don't let fear get in the way of you living. If you're new to the show and you found me because we've been putting out stuff on social media, I'm so glad you made it all the way to here. We're putting out videos on social media. I'm trying to cram my wordy self into 30 second and 60 second little bites. This is where I get a chance to really expand, to really shine light in the corners of who we are, trying to put words to this emotional experience we have as human beings. If you resonate with the way that I speak, the way I try to highlight what will help us in this life, keep tuning in. As you can guess from today's episode, I will be speaking out more about what I've learned from some of my own drug and alcohol experience. From my youth growing up in New Orleans, it's a very weird place. The deeper truth is that I lived a life kind of like a rock star, and I don't say that gloating. And I did that without any musical talent and without the touring. And I don't recommend a lot of how I lived. But I must admit how much of that season of my life really shaped me into who I am today, not just as a person, but as a therapist and a coach that helps people transcend their pasts and grow into the lives that they very much have wished and wanted and dreamed of. Peace, confidence, ease, and flow. Thank you for giving me space to name a fear and for helping me be accountable to myself to live beyond that fear. I hope this helps you process who you are, especially the things in your past that hold some shame, that most of the world might label as a bad decision or a dangerous decision, and to help you squeeze the therapeutic value out of your own life experimentation and experience. Two things I want to tell you about. I want to invite you to the next live stream on Patreon. You can submit a question and come participate actively, or you can be a little fly on the wall. A question is not required for you to join or participate. You can just come hang out. If you come just hang out, someone else will ask a question that you didn't even know you needed answered. 
that's part of what happens when we come together in a group format for healing, for learning, for growth, for expansion. Come listen to the replay of Parentification and come submit a question and participate with February's live stream, Psychedelics and Healing, where you can ask me anything, and I do mean anything in that regard. I won't so much go over the science. There are a billion people online that will go over every scientific study of every single psychedelic that they're looking at. That's not what I'm offering. What I'm offering is emotional, relational questioning around how it feels, how that might work, pros, cons. Should I lean into that? Should I lean away from that? Ask the questions that you want to ask. If you're a bit like me, you might not be fully feeling the start of the year right at January 1st. What we're doing this year for my peace course, we're releasing it in cohorts. So if you want to be with a group of people that are all practicing peace together, we're going to start it on the first of the month every single month. These are the exercises that your mind and body can do to teach your actual physical system what it is to be in peace. These are the muscles that you need to grow to feel more peace. So many of you out there will tell me, I have listened. I know all the things. Why can't I get my body to feel peaceful? Because we've got to do that weight training. My course is the weight training for teaching your body, your mind, and your spirit what it is to be integrated in peace. If you're interested in that course, you can go right onto emotionalbadass.com and sign up. If you join the Patreon, you get that course for half price. 30 days to peace. Light and love. Keep listening. We have an exciting announcement coming up. We're going to have a new way to work with me. And the first offering is going to be free. So make sure that you're paying attention to everything we put out there so that you can come be a part of that. We're just getting closer and closer to being able to announce it. We are proud to be a part of Airwave Media. Check them out to come find other amazing podcasts. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Till next time, take care of yourself. And I'll be right here with a brand new episode. Bye-bye.